0: Uh, open up your Bible with me to Luke chapter 23, if you will. While you're turning there, I just got a couple of uh, announcements for you. On, in the bulletin itself, there's a, an announcement about a church cleaning day uh, that's, that's coming up. Um, I think that the, the women's and the men's ministry are partnering together to, to put this on, in to sponsor this. It's kind of a spring cleaning for inside and outside work. And depending upon how many people show, uh, sign up to come and help, is kind of what they're going to put on the list of things to do. Um, And uh, so they're hoping that we can get you guys to sign up on the the list that's in the foyer over at the information counter where the kids get checked in for the Sunday school. There's a sign-up sheet. So if you could come to that, and if you'd be willing to donate a a Saturday's worth of time here to help out, uh, sign up. And, um, and again, there will be stuff to do on the inside and on the outside um, of the church. Also... uh, seems a little, uh, uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, I'll just, I'll just say it. There's, you guys know that, um, George, where are you at? George. Oh, there he is. Uh, George from Westcliff, and he has a paper that covers uh, Custer County and Fremont County called Sentinel. And he's brought some copies of the Sentinel for all of you who would like to take one home. There's some on the information counter and some on the table that you'll be able to grab on the way out. And uh, George asked me to write the uh, 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 article for the resurrection edition of the paper. And there's this ugly dude now on the front of the paper. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you guys would like to take a copy with you, and uh, there's a art, the article that I wrote, uh, some of it is part of the sermon from this morning's message. And so uh, take it. And it's not just for you guys to have and read again. Uh it's, it's so you can take it and maybe give it to a family member, a, a neighbor, a friend, so they too can, can uh, uh, that if they weren't in church this morning, they get an opportunity to hear um, about the resurrection of the Lord and what that means to us uh, for those who put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus as our Savior. So please take a copy. George has generously brought uh, two bundles uh, so that you can have one for free and, and pass it out. So um, I'm going to ask you guys to stand again with us this morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin reading in verse 26 as we read the Word of God together. Chapter 23, verse 26. It says, now in verse 26, as they led them away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the, from the country... And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him, and a woman and, and, and women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs which never bore, and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say, to so the mountains fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green woods, what will be done in the dry? There were also others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right, and on the one on the right hand, and the other on the left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood Or stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. He is the Christ, the chosen, if he is the the Christ, the chosen of God. Soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do, not, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive our due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn into two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Verse 47, So when the centurion saw what had happened, He glorified God, saying, certainly this man was a righteous man, and the whole crowd who came together to that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all of his acquaintances, the women who followed him from Galilee, stood at the distance watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, and he had not consented to their to their decision and deed. And he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down, he wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever laid before. That day was the day of preparation, and Sabbath drew near, and the women who had come to him or come with him from Galilee, followed him, and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned, verse fifty-five, and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested it. They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, verse 20, chapter twenty-four, verse one, it says, "In the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared." But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in it and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And Mary Magdalene, excuse me, in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, And they did not believe them. But Peter, he arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what what had happened. Father, as we study through this passage of Scripture and reflect upon the sacrifice that you made, and look forward, God, to the resurrection (coughs) <coughs> that, you, that, you, uh, uh, sh- that you did over death and showing yourself to be alive, showing yourself, Father, to have conquered sin, to have defeated death. Lord, giving us a hope and a promise of our own future resurrection and our own hope of eternal life. I pray, God, that these words would again find um, uh, a place in our hearts, Lord, so that we would rejoice. So that we would celebrate, that we would go from this place this morning renewed and encouraged and strengthened, God, by the truth of who you are. Uh, the knowledge that we have a high priest in heaven before the very throne of God interceding on our behalf. The hope, God, of knowing that one day that, that, that we too, even though this physical life may perish, that we have hope of eternal life and life abundantly in you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning, God, who has not given their life to you, that has not received this gift, that has not put in their faith and trust in you, that they would not leave this morning without doing so. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? know, On this Resurrection Sunday, we have this awesome blessing in freedom, without fear, like Rob was saying, of coming together to worship as a church, to worship God and celebrate the fact that Jesus has rose from the grave, that He conquered sin, that He conquered death. And in light of this good news, truly it is good news, we who believe that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, we rejoice. And we rejoice in the fact that we know that through Jesus' death, through His burial and His resurrection, that all of our sins have been forgiven and that we've received the gift of eternal life as I read through this passage of Scripture that accounts the crucifixion of Christ and and the burial and the resurrection, there are certain things that stand out. And I love the fact that in Luke's account, he mentions the the criminals who were crucified with Christ. And one mocked, and the other received Christ. And and Christ promised him the eternal life that, that we too have been promised. And it's a remembrance for me that it's never too late. It's never too late to cry out to God to receive you, to forgive you, because He's willing to accept you no matter what you've done. He's faithful and just to forgive. As we look at the resurrection, one of the things that I want to point out to you is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that we celebrate that's connected and tied to it as as we celebrate this today, the resurrection has been something that has been attacked down through history. And, And in fact, it's currently attacked even today by those who oppose God. And even though there have always been these enemies of the cross who deny the resurrection, their attacks against the truth of Jesus' resurrection are increasing. But it should not be a surprise. It should not catch us off guard. In fact, it should give us even a greater hope as we see uh, people coming, across, acro- coming uh, and, and attacking the faith that, that we have. And the reason why we should... Be encouraged by these attacks is because Jesus told his disciples that in the last days, that, that when his return was near, his second coming to get us and to bring us into heaven with him, that, 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 that in these last days that the enemies of the true gospel, that the enemies would increase and that they would begin to attack the things that are foundational to our faith. But the fact of the matter is, is we have no need to fear these attacks because, you know what? Our faith is real. Our faith is real. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith. Our faith is real. And, and in addition to that, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which our faith stands upon, is also real. And we can know the truth about Jesus' death and resurrection by many different ways, not only by historical evidences, but also by eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts, both re, both that are recorded in the Bible and others that are recorded in secular history. Eyewitnesses accounts that build a firm case for both the resurrection and and, and and the death of Jesus Christ. In light of this, this morning, there are five points of thought that I wish to share with you. Five points of thought that will help you and give us the confidence and assurance that we need to live by faith. In other words, to live boldly as followers of Jesus Christ, who is our risen Savior. As I was studying through this and I read the the accounts of the, the, the apostles, one of the things that I see is 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 immediately after Jesus' death they were fearful. And even though they had seen Christ resurrected, there was still a time of fear in their lives where they didn't live with assurance, that they didn't live with confidence. But we see that when the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them with power, the knowledge of the fact that that Jesus was alive and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which was their assurance of their own future resurrection, gave them boldness and confidence to live in a way that turned the whole world upside down. And my desire for you this morning, as we begin to study these things, the Holy Spirit would come upon you as well in power and strength, and that you would see the truth that we find in the Scriptures and uh, the knowledge that our faith rests in that Jesus is alive, and that we too would be able to live with complete confidence, with complete assurance, giving His boldness in this, in this time that we live in when so many people are attacking the very faith that we have and, and the things that, that we believe. The first of these five points is the fact that the Bible, which has been proven to be 100% historically accurate, along with many many other secular books of history, that, that, that the Bible, along with many other secular books of history, they document the fact that Jesus was arrested. This is true things. It documents the fact that Jesus was arrested by the order of the Jewish high priest, that he was then turned over to the Romans to be put to death. History also tells us that Jesus was then tried by a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And even though he was found or decreed to be without fault, he was executed by the Roman authorities by the means of crucifixion. A few of the ancient secular writings, in other words, non-religious writings... Ancient historical documents that document these things as facts sh- and as, as true. There are many. I have a few for you this morning. First, there's the chronicles of Titius. Titius was a Roman historian who said this. He said, writing about the the, the Emperor Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero, he said, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished Christians as He says they were popularly called. Their originator, Christ, had been executed in the Tiberius region by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. There are other historical mentions. There's one found that is written in a letter by a, a philosopher, a Stoic philosopher from the Roman province of Syria. His name was Marabara Serapoin. And in the letter that he wrote which now resides in the British Library, which is the National Library of the United Kingdom. And in the letter, he accounts both the execution of Jesus Christ through crucifixion and also the resurrection of Jesus, referring to him as the wise king of the Jews. There are also the mention of Jesus' death in the writings of, of, of the, 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 the Greek satirist Lucian, Phallus, a Samaritan-born historian. Pliny, the younger, who was the Roman governor in Bithynia. And Felgian, a Greek historian, who also comments about the crucifixion and says that there was a darkness that came upon the land at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And we know that it happened in the day, and it was an unusual occurrence for it to be dark in the middle of the day. In addition to these, there are also the Jewish historian Josephus. Josephus was not a believer. Josephus was hired by the Roman authorities to give a historical account from the Jews' point of view of the Rome's rule over them. And and Josephus, he records the, the, the death of Jesus, and he said, At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good. He was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who became his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported, Josephus says, they reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And I point all of this out, all of these things to you this morning, and in order to illustrate the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is a real person of history. It's undeniable. He is a person of history who was put to death on a cross outside of the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The Bible accounts it, and historians from all over account the same thing second point I want to make to you is the fact that Jesus' disciples believed that He had risen from the dead and testified that He had appeared to them. And now this may not seem like a significant thing. We might expect that from Jesus' disciples. But when we consider the fact that they claim to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection and that they did not deny their testimonies, even though they suffered much persecution, and even eventually put to death for these testimonies, we begin to see the significance of their claims. See, historically we know that at least 11 of these eyewitnesses, these apostles of Jesus Christ, were put to death because they professed Jesus' resurrection to be true. This is significant because they did not willingly die for what they believed. They willingly died for what they claimed to be true. For what they had professed to have seen with their own eyes. This is important because even though many people will die for something that they believe in or something that they put their faith in, no sane person, no person in their right mind will give up their life for a story that they had made up or for something that they know is not true. This is what sets the apostles and their testimonies of Jesus' resurrection apart. Remember, they saw Jesus crucified. They saw Jesus buried in the tomb. And they claim to have seen Jesus rise back to life and ascend into heaven. And, and they did not deny any of these things as they testified to seeing with their own eyes, even though they were put to death for them. This makes their testimonies compelling. There's a similar example of this within the third point of consideration in regards to Jesus' half-brother, a man by the name of James. The Bible makes it clear that James originally believed that his half-brother, Jesus, was crazy. James believed that Jesus was crazy for for claiming to be the only begotten Son of God. Yet everything that that James believed about Jesus, it changed after he saw Him crucified on the cross buried in the tomb, and then resurrected back to life three days later. In fact, James openly professed that Jesus was the Son of God, and James remained a follower of Jesus to the very last day of his life when he too was put to death for his faith in Jesus. The point is, James, who also died for what he claimed to have seen, presents another convincing testimony to support the resurrection. Think about it. How many of you would be able to convince one of your siblings that you were the son of God? And then have them hold fast to that confession, even when faced with the threat of death. The fact of the matter is, there's not one of us who could convince any of our brothers or sisters of this. And even if we could, it's even more likely that they would give up their life for believing this was true unless it was the truth. A truth that could be confirmed by some kind of miracle. Like being able to rise back to life. The fourth point to support a belief in Jesus' death and resurrection is the conversion of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. This is significant Because Saul, who would later become known as Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul historically began as an enemy of Jesus. Not just an enemy of Jesus, but an adversary. One who persecuted and put to death those who believed in Jesus' death and resurrection. And he did this because he believed... He did this because he believed that the disciples of Jesus were an infectious disease that threatened his faith of Judaism that he zealously loved. Yet in spite of his zeal for Judaism, Paul came to believe in the resurrection. And he came to believe in the resurrection only after we're told that Jesus appeared to him. We know that this happened even while Paul was on the road to the city of Damascus. And we know that he was on his way to Damascus with letters from the high priest so that he could arrest even more Christians, take them back, have them tried, and be put to death. As a result of this encounter on this road to Damascus, when Jesus appeared to Paul, when Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus, Paul, who had radically opposed those who were followers of Jesus, was converted in that moment, in that time. In doing so, he forsook Judaism. He abandoned it to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we know that he dedicated the rest of his life to teaching others about the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus' death and in His resurrection. Furthermore, we know that Paul did this even though he suffered much persecution. Paul talks about being beaten for his faith in Jesus Christ many times. Being shipwrecked, being stranded on islands, even being stoned. Furthermore, Paul did all of this even though, holding true to his faith in Jesus Christ, even though he suffered much persecution and was eventually put to death for following Jesus. Paul's testimony is also a compelling reason that cannot be ignored when we consider the truth of the resurrection. Now the fifth point I want to bring to you this morning is simple. The fifth point is the fact that the tomb where Jesus was buried was found to be empty. This is a fact that Jesus' enemies even admitted to. They could not deny it. And because Jesus' tomb was sealed with a large stone and was even guarded by Roman soldiers and still turned up empty, it gives us additional reasons today to believe. The point is, is if the body of Jesus was ever found, then the resurrection would have been proven to be a deception, right? But the fact of... The fact that Jesus' body has never been found provides another reason for us to believe. A reason for us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on a cross, who rose from the grave and ascended into heaven just like the Bible teaches us. Now when we consider the resurrection, I think it's safe to say that an empty tomb, according to what we read when we began this morning, an empty tomb is something that the disciples were not even expecting to find. The women who went there with the spices to pre- finish preparing the body of Jesus were expecting to find Jesus' body in the tomb. In fact, Scripture tells us that, that when Mary and the others found the tomb empty and they went back to the other, the other apostles, the other disciples who were remaining there in Jerusalem, that they too did not believe the reports. They didn't believe Mary when she told them that Jesus' tomb was empty and that an angel had told her that Jesus had risen. And we see that they they doubted even though Jesus had told them that he would be crucified. Even though he had told them and prepared them saying, hey, they're going to crucify me but don't worry because three days later three days from then I'm going to raise up from the grave. And back to life, and even though they didn't believe, we know that they they went anyway. They went running. It says Peter, it tells us that Peter went running to the tomb and then finding it empty that they came to believe the miraculous fact that Jesus had risen. They came to believe that Jesus was alive and and that by his death and by his resurrection that Jesus had defeated sin, their sin, our sin. And that Jesus had conquered death just like He said He would, like He had promised. In light of this, I would like to answer the question of why it's important. Why is it important to believe? Why is it important to know and believe that Jesus is alive? And, and the most important reason for us to know Or the most important reason for why we need to know, for why we need to believe that Jesus is alive, is because our Christian faith has nothing to stand on if Jesus never rose from the grave. You see, those who attack Christianity, they are the first to say that there was no resurrection, because they understand this. They understand that without the resurrection, Christianity, our faith is an empty faith. This is why those who attack Christianity in Paul's day would teach that there was no resurrection from the dead. Paul writes about that in the letters that he writes to the churches. Likewise, this same type of attack that has been made against Christianity from the very conception, from the very day that it was birthed, it continues on today. Those who try to discredit... (coughs) or to do away with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the Corinthians about this, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12, he said, he said, since our message is that Christ has been raised from death, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If that is true, it means that Christ was not raised, and if Christ has not been raised from, the, from death, then we have nothing to preach to you, and it says you have nothing to believe. He says, more than that, he says, we're shown to be lying about God. He said, because this is what we preach. This is what we teach. We say that he has raised Christ from the dead. But if that is true, that the dead are not raised by back to life, then he did not raise Jesus Christ. For if the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, he says, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. And if our hope in Christ is good for this life only and no more, he says, then we are the most pitiable of all men. You see, Paul's point, as you can see there, is that our very foundation of our faith stands upon the fact that Jesus is risen and is alive today. The very foundation of our faith is built upon the resurrection. The forgiveness of our sins, the freedom from the power of sins, the hope of our own future resurrection into eternal life, they all depend upon the resurrection. Consequently, these promises mean nothing if Jesus did not raise, raise from the grave. And it means nothing if we don't believe in the resurrection. And if we don't believe in this, then we have no reason to have faith in these promises that Jesus offers. None. The fact of the matter is, is that the teaching in, of and the belief in the resurrection, that's what sets Christianity apart from every, every other religion in the world. This is why the resurrection is so important to our Christian faith. And the teachings of Jesus, which teach us that, that he died for the payment and for the forgiveness of our sins, we see that it cannot be apart from the message of the resurrection, from the truth of the resurrection, because it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us the assurance of our own salvation and a guarantee of our own future resurrection. Paul he, he, he continued to write about this to the Corinthians, and, and in, in that same chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 20, Paul wrote on, he said, But the truth is, he said, he said the truth is, is that Jesus has been raised from the death as a guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For just as death came by the means of a man, in the same way, rising from death comes by the means of a man. For just as all people die because of their union with Adam, and we know that Adam, through Adam's sin entered in, is what Paul's writing about. He says, it's the same for all, and that all will be raised back to life because of their union or their faith in Jesus Christ. So clearly, the resurrection is foundational to our Christian faith, but it's our faith that moves us to hope. And hope is the second reason for why it's important. The second reason why it's important for us to know and to believe that Jesus is alive and has risen from the grave. And this is because the resurrection is a display. The resurrection is a display of the power that Jesus has over sin and over death. It's this aspect of our Christian faith that we put our hope in. And Paul rightly said that if Jesus had not risen, then we have no hope. He says that we would still be lost in our sins. And if we're still lost in our sins, we have no hope because ultimately we're still condemned to suffer an eternal death. But since Jesus has risen, since Jesus is alive, you know what? We have hope this morning. We have hope in the power that he possesses to save us from death. And hope in his authority to forgive us of our sins. This power and authority is proven through the resurrection. You see, when Jesus walked on this earth, like James, his brother, knew, and originally thought he was crazy for doing so, we know that Jesus, when he walked this earth, claimed to be the only begotten Son of God. And in doing so, Claiming to be the Son of God, he claimed that he had the power and the authority of God. As a result, there were many people, as you can imagine, who challenged his claims, saying, alright, if you're the Son of God, we want some proof. Yet, anytime time that Jesus was challenged, anytime someone asked for proof, Jesus always responded by telling them, that their proof would be His future resurrection. An example of this is found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus was responding to the Pharisees and He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Also in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, in another account, in another instance, it tells us that the Jewish authorities, they replied to Jesus with a question saying, What sign can you give us that shows us you have authority to do this? And Jesus answered, He said, Tear down this temple, in three days I will build it up again. And then it goes on to explain to us, John says, he says, but the temple that Jesus was speaking about at that time was his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, he said, we, his disciples, remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Simply put, listen, what this means is is this means that the hope that we have the hope that our sins have been forgiven it's been proven to us by the resurrection of jesus christ equally our hope that we will not remain in the grave when we die this physical death is also proven and guaranteed by the resurrection of jesus christ that's part of our hope peter writes about this in first peter chapter one he tells of this hope he says He says it's a living hope. He says, but blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us, has birthed us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, from the dead, to an inheritance. What kind of inheritance? He says it's an inheritance that's incorruptible, an inheritance that is undefiled, one that does not ever fade away. He said, one that's reserved for you in heaven. One that is kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And it was Jesus who also said, he said, the very words of Jesus Christ when he still walked on the earth, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, he who believes in me, even though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die die. So for us who put our faith and hope in Jesus, what does that mean? When we say we put our faith and hope in Jesus, it means that we believe that he died, that he rose from the grave. And we who have our faith and hope in Jesus, we know that when our soul at death is separated from our physical body, it tells us that it will immediately go into the presence of God, the eternal part of us, because of our faith, because of our hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it tells us specifically, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, there in heaven, it tells us that our soul, the eternal makeup of who we are, it waits until the return of Jesus. If we die before Christ returns. And at that time when Christ returns, it tells us that our physical body, that it will be resurrected from the grave. And that at that moment it will be transformed. It will be transformed from this incorruptible, this, this, this corruptible body into an incorruptible body, one that has been prepared for eternal life. At that time the soul will be reunited. This is our hope. And it is ensured by Jesus' own resurrection. In other words, how do I have a hope that I too will be raised from the dead? Because Jesus has proven that he has power over death through his own resurrection back to life. Consequently, for the sake of hope, it's important to know and believe that Jesus has risen from the grave and is alive today for the sake of hope. What are you putting your hope in? But there is also a third and a final reason for why it's important to know. A third and final reason this morning that we need to understand for us to believe. A reason for why we need to believe that Jesus is risen into life. And it is because the resurrection of God is a display of God's love for us. Now we know that the sacrificial death of Jesus is a demonstration of God's love. right? For God to love the world. That He sent His only begotten Son, that you never believe in Him, shall not perish, have eternal life. And that the greatest thing that anyone can do is to give or lay down their life for another. And on the cross, Jesus laid down His life for us. It's a sign of God's love for us. But in the same way that the cross is a sign, a memorial of God's love for us, the empty tomb is also a sign of God's love for us. And the fact that Jesus showed himself to be alive is equally a demonstration of God's love. Now think about it. If Jesus had never shown himself to be alive, if there was just an empty tomb, if the disciples would have never known for sure that Jesus had been raised to back to life, there would be no hope, there would be no faith, there would be no love. The empty tomb without a Jesus, without without an alive Jesus, without a living Jesus, it would have been a, a, a a cruel trick. But Jesus showed himself to be alive. He showed himself to be alive first to his disciples. He appeared to them in the upper room. And then he appeared to many others. We're told that he even appeared to a group of people Numbering 500 at one time. And he did so. He appeared to all of them because of his love for us. But the fact that Jesus showed himself to be alive is, 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 is first and foremost a demonstration of God's love for us. Because it is our proof that by Jesus' sacrificial death, it is our proof that peace has been restored. That peace has been made between God and us. The Old Testament tells us that God had established a covenant with His people. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And this covenant, it required the high priest, the Jewish high priest, to enter into the temple. Once a year, every year. And as he would enter in the temple, he'd go past the veil of separation. The very one that we read about here in Luke that was torn in half upon Jesus' death upon the cross. And he'd go past this veil of separation. He would go into this little room inside the temple that was called the Holy of Holies. And he would go in there, it says, with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. Not just any sacrificed lamb, but a lamb that had been sacrificed specifically for the sins of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. This day was called the Day of Atonement. And we know that while in the holy place, the high priest would take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it upon the Ark of the Covenant. Specifically on a place referred to as the mercy seat. And he would do so because the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood that was spilt was given as a payment for the sins of the nation. But if the high priest, were told, had not prepared himself just in the way that God had commanded, he said that the priest would be struck down in that very spot as he came before the presence of God in the mercy seat. If he didn't do everything just right, he would be struck down dead, killed. And the sin offering for the nation, for the atonement of the sins, for the payment of the sins, it would not be accepted. Therefore, the people knew that the offering had been accepted and that their sins had been forgiven only when the high priest came out from behind the veil of separation. When he showed himself to be alive. But now through the death and resurrection of Jesus... Jesus, who is also referred to as the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed for our sins. We who have a new covenant through him, a covenant that is according to grace through faith. And as a result, we're told that we too have a high priest, a high priest who has offered up his body and his blood as a sacrificial payment for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the payment of the debt that we owed. And the fact that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, the fact that he rose from the grave and walked on the earth, showing himself to be alive, reveals that the sacrificial offering that he made with his life that was offered up for us, it shows us that it was accepted by God. That Jesus was a sacrificial offering that was acceptable to God. It was enough for the debt that had to be paid. Simply put, our high priest priest, came out alive, and in doing so, he proved that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been restored to God through our faith. And as a result, the Bible tells us that we now can come boldly, boldly into the very presence of God and freely receive all of God's love For us. You see, the cross and the empty tomb, they were just a demonstration of God's love. And through that demonstration of God's love, we have the assurance that that we're no longer enemies of God, that we're that we're now sons and daughters of God. And as sons and daughters of God, we can come before Him and not receive His wrath, but receive His love, His goodness, His kindness, His mercy, His forgiveness. His blessings. The place where God calls us into His presence. If the worship team wants to come back up. We in worship this morning, the very beginning was, was a little short, but we, we changed things around uh, and do it a little different on purpose because we want to end this morning with a longer uh, a, a time of worship than what we began because truly today is a day to Rejoice. Today is a day to celebrate and we want to send you out from this place with joy in your hearts, with the words of praises on your tongues as we worship and celebrate God through music. But before we get back into song, I want to point out that in the resurrection account, if you look back to Luke chapter 24 with me, in Luke chapter 24, specifically in verse 5, if you look there. We're told that when the two angels appeared to Jesus' disciples at the empty tomb, they asked a question. Do you see the question? (coughs) They asked this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a profound question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Because Jesus was alive. Why were they coming to the tomb? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And the thing about this question is it reminds me of some things. It reminds me of the fact, fact that, that people today, that they are seeking the resurrected Jesus even today among the dead. They say, who here has heard this? Have you ever heard this? They say, oh, Jesus was a great example. And you know, yeah, I... I don't necessarily believe everything he says, but he lived a good life. And, and I just want to follow that example because he, was, he lived a good example. He was a good example. Or they say that, that Jesus was a good man. Some people even admire his teachings. And they treat him as though he is dead and dismiss the resurrection. And you know what? People do that, and I know they do that because this is what I did for so many years of my life. People do this. They, they seek Jesus among the dead because in doing so, they don't have to believe that He is the risen Lord to whom they one day will have to give an account. Because if Jesus is alive and He truly is the Son of God, then it tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. There's coming a day and their unbelief doesn't make that untrue their unbelief shrouds their eyes and it shrouds their heart so that they can live in a state of blindness and deception and go on doing what they want to do if not the guilt the conviction of knowing where you're wrong just overcomes and in those moments of clarity when when the reality of uh, uh, of what you know to be true is before you that's where you feel hopeless that's where you feel overwhelmed In light of this, I want to encourage all of us to not dismiss the resurrection of Jesus because you're unwilling to submit your life to him. Don't do it. See, Jesus told us in John chapter 5, verse 29. He said that just like he was going to rise from the dead, Jesus promised, he said, so too every person will be resurrected. Every person Every person that has ever been created, that has ever been born from the beginning of time to the end of time, which is coming quickly, every person, the Bible tells us, will be resurrected. But Jesus said that some will be resurrected to life, and others will be resurrected to condemnation. So it's important. It's important to know. It's important to believe that Jesus has risen from the grave and is alive today, because a decision to believe or a decision to not believe in Jesus as the risen Lord, ultimately we're being told here determines to what resurrection you will be raised. A resurrection of eternal life through your faith in Jesus Christ, or in a resurrection to eternal death as you reject Him as the only begotten Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, for your debt, so that you may have eternal life. It's a choice. Remember, God did this because He loved you. Because He loves you. And in John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17, together they should go. It says, for God loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son, listen, God did not send His Son into this world to condemn you. But He sent Him into the world, and He had to come into the world so that through Him, through the work that He did, through the life that He lived, that He might save. See, God's desire is for you to be saved. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, it says you will be saved. This morning, I want to lead you all in a prayer. It's a prayer that you can pray as a profession of faith, as an acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I would invite you all to close your eyes with me and bow your heads. And if you're a believer and you just want to recommit your life, you want to rededicate your life, you want again to profess that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, silently just pray this to yourself. But if this is the first time, if you're, if you're <coughs> never made that decision to trust Jesus with your life and you want to do that today, then this is the prayer. This is the confession of your mouth. There's nothing magical in it. Really what it is is just an acknowledging of a will of your heart to go, I'm going to do things God's way now. I'm going to put my trust in Him. I'm going to live differently, not according to my own will, but according to God's will and become a follower of Jesus who is alive and who died for me and who loves me. And I, too, would invite you to pray that prayer silently with us now. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. God, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the grave. And so today I turn from my sins and I invite you into my heart and into my life. I want to trust in you and I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior and I pray this in Jesus name amen why don't you guys stand with us as we close this morning on a song on a, on a note of song and a note of worship they wept, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the